So if you're at $50 a month, uh, assuming you have a six to 12 month lifetime value of that consumer, you're talking about um, three to $600 uh, of an annual uh, money coming in from that user. At our at our 30% um, margin we're hoping for. It's like $200. Yeah, I'd be happy to pay $200 to acquire somebody I think is going to stay on board for, for a year. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster, minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Ed Vincent. He's an entrepreneur with over 20 years of business technology and management experience, having founded and exited several companies in that time, including helping to launch film festivals in multiple locations and creating the concept for a Maxim branded hotel in the Caribbean. He's a former head of data at MoviePass, now building something called FestivalPass.com. Ed, you ready to take us to the top? I am. Let's do it. All right. By the way, why move on from MoviePass? A lot of people would say that thing was a rocket ship. You just figure you learned everything you could. Yeah, I was I was a contractor brought in to help them with their data, and um, MoviePass has an interesting story in itself for the good or the bad. I think a lot of people know some of the good and some of the bad. All right, uh, let's go to Festival Pass. What's the company doing? What's the revenue model? Is it Pure Place Ass? Sure. No, it is a, a subscription marketplace. Um, so so uh, different than when, when you think of marketplaces in general. A lot of people think of the Ubers and Airbnbs and Postmates and other other type of two-sided marketplaces. And uh, when we think of Festival Pass, it is a two-sided marketplace. You have the consumer and then you have the event owners, the rights holders that have a lot of these live events um, in the festival space, music, film, food and wine, tech and innovation, um, and both sides of the marketplace need to be fulfilled. Okay. So t- tell us what you do for both those sides. So what do you, first off, who's paying you more, Are the consumers or the festival organizations? Yeah. So it's a, it's a consumer play, right? So okay. consumers pay a monthly fee and for that monthly fee, they get credits. They can then use those credits to attend thousands of live events throughout the country. Okay. Uh, what do you do for the festival organization? Um, so for them, uh, it's a, it's a, a couple pieces to it. The, the number one piece is additional distribution. So the ability to uh, allow our members to be able to attend their events is, is the first. The second, uh, coming from a very stringent, stringent is the wrong word, very uh, robust data background, um, I, I really understand the whole consumer data play, especially in the entertainment space. And uh, what I find is outside of the very big players in the live event space, the live nations of the world and, and a few others, um, data is, is a little disparate. Um, only one in 10 uh, ven- in venues, most venues, they only know one in 10 people in the audience. Interesting. Okay. Do the festival organizations pay for this or it's just the consumers paying? 
Uh, the consumers are paying. The festival, uh, the festival owners are sharing revenue with us uh, in the form of a discounted uh, access to to the event. Okay, so let me try and get a real example here, just to make sure I understand. Um, name a festival that works with you, Coachella. Uh, good example, Coachella. Soon, at some point, will. Uh, so we're talking to some of their uh, parent companies. They're not on board yet. Um, think of South Beach Food and Wine. South big Beach Food and Wine. Big hundred thousand person festival every year in February. Okay, so what do they charge for a ticket, like direct on their site? Yeah, and it's it's hard to get the exact dollar amount because they have over a hundred different mini events within the overall big event. Some are fifteen dollars, some are two hundred dollars, some are three hundred dollars, and that that really plays into why the model for us makes a lot of sense. We look at it as a gross margin economic uh, unit economic model. So um, people on the show or yourself would probably be familiar with how ClassPass works. Have you ever seen how ClassPass works? Yep. Um, and what they did well, and one thing we learned from them is building a credit-based system allows us to to manage for gross margin, positive unit economics. Okay, so let's try and run an example here. Let's just say the South Beach food and wine ticket is $100. Um, you use your consumer play to sell one of those tickets. What will uh, South Beach food and wine pay you on the $100 ticket sale? Yeah, so our average gross margin across all events, I'm not going to specifically talk about each event That's itself. Fine is we target a 30% gross margin. So in theory, across the board, if it was a $100 ticket, we'd be paying the event $70 and we'd be keeping $30. Um, that margin then allows us to maintain how we present it to the customer and how at what price we want to offer it to the customer. Okay, got it. Let's go back to the flip side of this and put this on a timeline real quick. When did you launch the company? What year? Uh, just last year. So so oh, this wow. is a, it's still early stage. We're like just 2019 or 2018? 2019. We're still in the very beginning stages. Um, but what, what having all the background I have and having the experience I've had with other in, uh, models that are similar, um, we've been able to kind of jumpstart the process in terms of really uh, getting involved with some of the big players. So, right. Good. No, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to try and get a sense of on the consumer side. Are these like college students or young professionals or like older folks going to festivals? How many, what are they spending per month on credits on average? So, so great, great commerce, great question. So um, I'll tell you both the pricing and then I'll tell you the target audience. So on the pricing side, we have packages that go from $9 a month to $29 a month, $49.79 and $99 a month. So for each of those different price points, you get a certain amount of credits. Obviously, the more you commit to on a monthly basis, the cheaper per credit price you have. Therefore, you attend events more cheaply. Um, yep. In the uh, on the targeting side, um, when we think about we're cro- we're the only festival subscription service that's cross genre. So we have music and film and food and wine, tech and innovation. Eventually, we'll have sports and other kind of concert events and other things. But uh, when you have that cross section, um, we we will eventually hit different target demos. Of course, millennials have tended to be uh, the the focus of our of our uh, go to market because of the fact that they'll spend more of their consumer dollars on experiential uh, activities than they will on hard consumer goods. Um, Seventy five million millennials in America and North and in North America as well. Um, it's that's the path that they choose to spend their discretionary dollars. However. When you think of food and wine, you think of something like South Beach or Aspen food and wine or Vail food and wine or New York food and wine. You're talking about slightly higher, not not that millennials don't go to those as well, but uh, it tends to skew a, a little older where you have 40s, 50s, 60 year olds uh, happily attending these major festivals throughout the country. 
So your economies of scale look something like this at a $9 a month plan for six credits called a $1.50 per credit. You get all the way up to scale at a hundred bucks a month or 99. It's basically a dollar per credit. Is that, do you think you're going to change that kind of arbitrage spread over time? Will your per credit pricing come down or is that really what you're going to stick with for a while? Yeah, I think we'll stick with that. Um, from a business perspective, what gets really interesting about this whole credit model, and I'm still shocked that more uh, marketplaces and subscription businesses haven't adopted it, and I give ClassPass a lot of credit for, for pioneering the way, is uh, what it allows for is it really builds in a, a reverse dynamic pricing process. So we don't have to change the per month fee. We don't even have to change the per credit fee. What we can play with is using data from hundreds of data points to be able to identify what is the credit cost of an event. So you um, who might tend to go to music festivals at an average $50 per, you know, per festival or, or use that example, you know, somebody else might um, actually prefer food and wine festivals at a $200 per ticket typical uh, concept. I'll know over time, what is my lifetime value of you as a customer? I'll know um, how much I want you engaged in, in the activity. And I may choose to offer the same event to you for slightly different in credit pricing than I might somebody else based upon all your behavioral aspects. Yeah. And just to be clear. So, I mean, at someone that buys a hundred credits from you, right. For a hundred, let's call it a hundred bucks, make the math easy. That then uses that on the food and wine festival that we just talked about. You're essentially making, you know, 30 cents per credit, right? Uh, effectively. That's the goal. Yeah. Uh, you, correct. Well, what I'm saying is when you have a, any kind of, um, super popular festivals that are typically going to sell out anyway, it's unlikely the rights holder is going to give us such a large discount to drive that. However, if you, if you look at the collection of thousands of festivals, 80% of them go un, unsold. So of course, Coachella is going to be very difficult to get a 30% margin on. Um, but in order to get it on the platform, we might do it for a 5% margin, knowing that they also are running 2000 other festivals and they'll give 50% margin on those loss leaders. Yep. Okay. Give us some, give us some metrics if you can on the consumer side, how many consumers have signed up for you to pay you at least a dollar? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's different because we're in an early stage. I can't really put an exact amount. We have thousands of people who have signed up to engage in the platform. Um, we really only started offering a collection of events uh, very recently. So, so we, can, we can say less than 1K paid. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Okay, that's cool. Fair. Now, how have you gotten the, it's, this is like the most beautiful step in any startup, in my opinion, right? Or the first couple of months, you said you've gotten several thousand to just at least sign up and express some form of interest, even if they're not paying. What mousetrap have you used to get that sign of interest? Sure, many. So, so we've started to test different marketing channels, right? So I come from a background where um, understanding cost per acquisition and data metrics are super important to me. So we've been building kind of our network of media partners in order to engage in that. So we have some media partners that have tens of millions of emails that they're going to use on our behalf as we go into 2020 to engage on a local level to drive people. Um, we've begun testing a few different partner festivals where we said, come in and sign up for free. Um, and you know, you'll get a free ticket to a taco and tequila festival in Los Angeles. Um, so we're using some of our partners, uh, tools in order to drive interest initially. Um, we also have, um, these partners you know, are people like festival squad, one H these kinds of people. Uh, well, one H wouldn't be cause one H is uh, it's more of a, that's more of a, an investment based vehicle, okay. but uh, festival squad, of course, yes, they, they wrote an article on us. Um, I'm talking more of um, big media partners. Uh, uh, we're, we're working with a few that manage all the digital properties for, um, hundreds of radio stations and hundreds of uh, television and local television stations. What's in it for uh, them? 
Uh, what's in it for them is the ability to create live content within their environment. So we're going to begin to offer um, all of our inventory showcased within their uh, media pages through which they can then sell advertising around. So it creates content for them. Interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Okay, going to the flip side, how many uh, organizations do you have, com- or sorry, how many events do you have committed to the platform? Yeah, so we have hundreds. Um, okay. so, so there are some one-offs that have come on and want to be a part of it that we put on. Um, but we're also right now, we're, we're in deep talks with numerous of the uh, big guys. Um, you know, I guess I could talk about strategic relationships, even though they're not finalized and closed. But, you know, we've been talking to iHeartRadio for, for, for months upon months, and they, they run 20,000 events uh, across, uh, across, you know, different cities throughout the year. Um, we're working to get them on the platform. Town Square Media runs hundreds of events. We're looking to get them on the platform. We're working on partnerships with other ticketing companies that already have tens of thousands of events to make their events available on our platform. So we're very quickly within, within this next quarter in 2020, there'll be thousands of events. And that's when we'll really kick in the marketing efforts to, to drive people. Just like any marketplace, nobody wants to sign up unless there's a lot of uh, product. Yeah, I was going to say, you have the chicken and egg problem. So your email to event to iHeartMedia, when they say, who are you? You're a small player. Why do we want to put our events on your platform? Your response is, well, we have media partnerships with 10,000 radio stations that are going to pump traffic in in Q2. So you better get listed before they do that. That is correct. Yeah. And so you're kind of managing this two-sided thing. Now, have you raised capital to help do this to give you some leverage or are you bootstrapping? Yeah, so we brought in some seed capital from some other entrepreneurs and strategic partners early on. Um, we're in the process now of really closing out kind of a seed round. And we have a ton of interest from in the institutional side for Series A. Um, I've, since I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years, I've been through every type of capital raise you can imagine. I've done traditional VC. I've done family office. I've done bootstrapping. I've done, um, you know, pure angel money. And it's, Ever it's, used debt? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, very much so. I have used debt. And uh, one of my... Every entrepreneur has a dream on how they want to thread the needle to still maintain control and still find a way to not dilute the company. So my perfect goal, I, I have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. So plan A is just finish out the seed round, which we should do in the next two weeks or so. Uh, then we'll grow uh, the, the lever of the marketplace into Q1, Q2. And then you're probably familiar with uh, a lot of um, – growth financing alternatives like ClearBank or Bravo or any of those guys, they have hundreds of millions of dollars sitting on the sideline right now to provide money for social media spend, for advertising spend. Um, So ideally, I'd love to have an operating budget on one side that runs the company and then a growth budget that comes directly from low cost debt capital. So, you know, we can spend. The problem is that stuff is not low cost, right? So a deal from ClearBank is going to look something like 1x your monthly revenues on a two month term with an interest rate of 2% per month, right? I mean, and that's on the that's on the bottom side. That's a 24% APR essentially. That's expensive. It is. I I would not go to 24%. Um, Some of the conversations I've had uh, with providers like that tend to fall on the six to 12%. Um, so any, anything over 15%, I, I wouldn't do. Well, wait, um, who are, I mean, I have a lot of people interested in this kind of thing. I have spent a lot of time researching these costs of capital. I have not found somebody that's willing to provide debt capital to a startup at a six to 12% rate. Well, we'll see. Like uh, so, some of the ones I mentioned, like a clear bank or a Bravo or others do fall in that with uh, credible companies that have proper KPI metrics. One of the great things about our subscription-based model is that um, if you think about what we're doing, right? So the the, the ability to spend, if, if you have a traditional retail company and I have a $50 product, the margin on that product at best is 
call it 50%. Um, I can't spend more than, you know, even the cost of the margin to be able to acquire them. When you have a subscription-based model, let's say um, we're trying to acquire somebody at $50 a month, and that's the beautiful thing about events, it costs more. So like in the old days of MoviePass, we were talking about a $10 a month charge. When you're talking about events where things can be $100 or $200 to go to a single event, it's not unlikely for people to put up $50 or $99 a month to actually um, uh, dedicate their experiential budget to that. So if you're at $50 a month, at, assuming you have a six to 12 month lifetime value of that consumer, you're talking about um, three to $600 uh, of an annual uh, money coming in from that user. At our, at our 30% um, margin we're hoping for. It's like $200. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to pay $200 to acquire somebody I think is gonna stay on board for, for a year. But that's the problem, right? Is This is why a lot of these, com- these providers can't be helpful to bootstrap SaaS or even marketplace founders is you just don't have historical economics built out. Now, if, now, by the way, if you go out and get an equity sponsor, everything changes because then there's covenants about cash balance in your bank and maybe you do get down to six to 12%, but that's very different than a bootstrap person trying to do this. Agreed, agreed. And that's why when I say my perfect scenario, finish my seed round, uh, you know, reward the people that really put money in early, um, get to a place where we're, you know, borrowing, you know, half a million dollars, spending it, getting another half a million, spending it, um, and getting to a place where we're not diluting those initial uh, investors. Plan B, I mentioned there's a plan B. The plan B is um, we have a, a, a lot of interest from some of these strategic players. So when I talk about the iHearts or the Town Square Medias of the world, um, they, they really, when we get to a place where they feel it's a little less risky than truly early stage, um, and when they agree to put their events on our platform, they also want to then participate. Um, so they're at a place where they say, hey, love what you're doing. I'm going to take a risk and put our events on your platform. But by the way, I also want to put a couple million dollars in. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there's a balance of when that happens. How, so ignoring the thing you're currently working on to close, how much total capital in the company to date? Um, only a couple hundred thousand dollars. Okay, a couple hundred. Um, and what are you targeting in your seed? Uh, we'll close it at $500,000 round. Okay, got it. So you'll, you'll have somewhere around like 800,000 ish total raised, ideally after the seed. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, okay, interesting. And what flesh out the team for me today, how many folks? Yeah, so it's about eight. Um, they're, they're all distributed globally. One, one thing that gets exciting this is the first time in my entrepreneurial career that I, was, I actually built a virtual company and I love it. Um, so, you know, think five years ago, you know, there wasn't really Slack. There wasn't the ability to find uh, best of breed talent. So I have my engineering team based out of Detroit. How many engineers? Um, I have a head engineer, a full stack developer, um, and then other people that participate in, you know, part-time projects to really facilitate it. I have a database engineer out of Lisbon. Um, we did our UI UX uh, through a great team of three people um, out of Bali. Um, great. What's their agency? What's that? What's their agency name? Uh, you know? uh, yeah, I do. Studio Moku. Oh, okay. Studio Moku. So they're, they're great. Danielle Thompson runs it. Um, and what I love about it is uh, Bali tends to be this um, uh, digital nomad space where a lot of people have come from North America. So Danielle was originally Canadian um, and has been in Bali for a few years. And she built this amazing freelance agency. And they do tremendous. I'm not talking about a. Uh, Indian outsource cost. I mean, it still costs money, but probably at half the cost you would pay in North America. Yep. Um, yep. And then I have, I was just going to finish out the team. I also have uh, um, uh, some great business development folks down in Florida. Okay. Eight people, three, three-ish, it sounds like full-time engineers, and then a mix of the rest. 
unit economic wise, so you let's just stick with your $50 number you were using earlier to sign up a consumer that's going to pay you $50 a month to get somewhere between 30 and 60 credits. What are you going to pay to acquire that customer based off the couple, you know, maybe a couple hundred you have paying right now? Yeah. So, so our target and we're, we'll, we'll see if we can do it at scale is to make it um, cost effective from the gross margin. So assuming it's $50, assuming um, we're getting 30% gross margin on, on the product, um, I would look at that and say, I'd be willing to pay two months of gross margin. So if two months of gross margin is a hundred bucks, I would happily pay $30 to acquire that person. Last question here. A lot of companies that start off with these market, Ed, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Oh, I'm here. a lot of companies that start off with these marketplaces, you know, you talked about iHeart and like getting their permission to list their event. What a lot of these companies do is they just, they just go scrape the iHeart events and they list them on the platform and risk the lawsuit. They can't, there's no, you have nothing to sue against anyway. But then if you send them an email and says, Hey, we've sold a hundred tickets to this random iHeart event in Kentucky, you basically pre buy the tickets yourself. And then you basically use your sales leverage to get them on the platform. That's a great way to like arbitrage this. Why haven't you done that? Yeah, so, so we have, um, but we haven't done it to the big players we actually want to work with uh, uh, strategically. So uh, I, I've known the IR folks for a long time, and I have a deep relationship with their corp, corp dev and venture group. So I just don't want to, quote unquote, piss them off. Um, we did we did scrape about 8,000 events that we actually have in our database, and, and we actually produce on our platform. Part of that was from an SEO play. Um, and we also enable, if you look at the site, you'll see a lot of these smaller events. Um, we just don't want to put the sales efforts into calling all these individual small events. So once they're listed on the platform, we actually have a CRM uh, a program uh, that we're about to roll out where they'll receive an email from us, let them know the event is listed. They can go to the page on the platform, claim their event. And once they claim their event, they can sign an agreement to, uh, to actually abide by our terms and then we'll list their product on the uh, site for our consumers. Yep, very good, man. All right, let's wrap up here with the Famous Five. Number one, favorite business book? Sure, uh, I love uh, Measure What Matters um, from John Dora. Are you familiar with that? Yep, great book. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Yes. Uh, um, do you know who Fabrice Grinda is? No. So uh, he started a company called OLX in Zynga. He runs a uh, venture uh, group called FJ Labs. Uh, just inspiring guy. Love what he's done. He's been an entrepreneur. He's been through the grit and, uh, and came out and has invested in 400 companies since. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building your company? Slack. Number four, how many hours of sleep you get every night? Uh, seven, eight. I'm pretty good, good on sleep. Yeah, that's good. And what's your situation? Married, single kids? Uh, separated three daughters live in New York city. Um, busy man. As long as I get my sleep, I'm good. Yeah, that's good. All right. And how old are you Ed? 46. All right. Take us home. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Uh, uh, I would say, uh, integrity over speed. Um, you know, I've been through the process and sometimes you just want to do something cause it's fast. I've taken money from the wrong investor in the past. I've chosen the wrong, uh, employees to help grow things. So learn, uh, integrity, take your time, go with people that, uh, you know, will, will hold true to loyalty and integrity over time. And it's, it beats it, the turtle over the, over the hair every time. Guys, there you have it. Ed, he's building essentially a festival version of class pass, right? So he's got several thousand consumers that have expressed interest, maybe a couple hundred paying right now on their credit based system, several hundred organizations and events on the platform as well, optimizing for a 30% gross margin. So if he sells a hundred dollar ticket through the platform, he likes to keep 30 bucks. The event organizer keeps the 70 and they scale that way. He's trying to get his economics to work on that 30% gross margin level as he's going into a series or a seed round right now, $300,000 raised right now. Uh, 
uh, again, targeting a $500,000 seed, eight people on the team right now, split obviously between about three engineers and then the rest kind of mixed between business and sales, willing to spend up to t- uh, two months essentially of that gross margin to acquire the customer. Again, scaling out the economics like he's done in the past at companies like MoviePass. Ed, thanks for taking us to the top. Appreciate it.